It is time for Mac Geek Cab, and our opening quick tip of the week comes from me. I was looking at the release notes of some of the new Rogue Amoeba apps, and I noticed them referring to something called background noise in macOS Ventura. Well, I dug into this. If you go into uh, system settings, accessibility, audio, at the bottom, there is background sound. So maybe it's background sounds that it alluded to. What do I know? I'm just a podcaster. Uh, what this is, is a white noise or, you know, background noise, rain noise, ocean noise, things that you can turn on in the background. And they say the re- this is why it's in accessibility. It, it says plays background sounds to mask unwanted environmental noise. These sounds can minimize distractions and help you to focus calm or rest. So, uh, the feature is there. There are a bunch of different sounds that you can use. Some of them are like pink noise and white noise. They have different names for them because th- th- those are technical terms that most people don't know. But then they also have like rain and ocean. They aren't all downloaded. They will download as you select them to play them. But uh, yeah, go check it out in Ventura. Go into system settings, accessibility, audio, and scroll to the bottom. You'll see them there. More tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 957 for Monday, November 28th, 2022. Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found into feedback at MacGeekGab.com. We string them together into an agenda, painstakingly, I might add, only to usually throw the agenda away. But it's a good process because it allows us to filter through things, pick the best ones and the ones that are most likely to help each of us learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include masterclass.com slash MGG returning sponsor. That's where you're going to go for unlimited access to masterclass and some, uh, you get a deal you buy. It's a buy one, get one thing going on there. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. And also upside where promo code Mac geek gab uh, you download the app, use promo code MacGeekGab when you're setting up your account, and you get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. This is a cool thing. We will talk more about both of those in depth later here in the episode. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And here in Lee, New Hampshire, it's Pilot Pete. Good to be here, guys. How goes it, Pilot Pete? Oh, living the dream. Uh, living things the dream. are good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's fun cool. to be back. It It is. Yes. It's good to have you back. That's right. You weren't, uh, you were here in spirit for the last one because every time we learned something new, I did that. And I knew there you were going to be upset that we were integrating that finally in an episode where you weren't here. So well, uh, there was that. I was, I was down pretending I was on, I was practicing bleeding. As we say, I was practicing, uh, you're on fire. Your engine quit. Your oh, hydraulics don't work. Yeah, all that good stuff. So that's a good thing for pilots to practice, so that when it when 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 
perhaps an emergency actually happens, it's uh, it's not the first time you've had to think through that process. It might be yeah, the first so time go, you've uh, experienced it's another Tuesday. <laughs> it's another Tuesday. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Tuesdays, it won't happen on a Tuesday, but it will happen on a Saturday, Saturday, December 10th uh, at 4 p.m. Eastern time, We, uh, which is 9 p.m. UTC. We are going to host our next uh, hangout. We'll do it as a Zoom call. Yes, I will preserve the password from the public this time. We will do things right so that we aren't deleting people that shouldn't be deleted. Uh, but we're going to do it on cord cutting, primarily because, A, it's something so many of us are doing. But, B, so many of us are doing it in our own ways. Like, not everyone's path is the same. And I think we have a lot to learn from each other. For those of you who haven't been to our Hangouts in the past, these are uh, not just, you know, the three of us to many of you conversations. These are group conversations. My goal is to participate the least and learn the most. Uh, but I'm happy to share and, and help and, and guide things and all of that stuff. But uh, but yeah, bring your what you're doing. Bring your questions. This is truly an interactive. It's just a hangout. It's, you know, grab your favorite beverage chill out with us for an hour and, and we're just hanging out. So, and the, the topic will loosely at least be cord cutting. Who knows what it will become? Uh, that is, on, it'll be fun. It it's will be gonna fun. Be, yeah. I'm going to learn how to save some money because how many cord cutters are spending more on individual streaming services? I, I, th right? There is that. Yeah. I, yes. I might, I might do my, uh, it would be interesting if, some slash all, but don't feel don't feel obligated to do homework for these things. By by all means, do not feel that you need to do homework to show up to one of these. Just show up and 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 talk. We'll do some homework though, uh, and if you want to participate in that with us, you're more than welcome. I'm going to go through and uh, compare what I used to pay when I had say Comcast or whatever to what I pay now, and and tell you. Uh, I, I think I'm paying less, but I don't know. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll share. Let's that. hope. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope that is all on the Mac geek Up calendar too. You can go to MacGeekUp.com slash calendar to subscribe the, the hangouts there, but also all of our live stream schedule is there too. That is the schedule we use. So, uh, hopefully you will, uh, you know, whatever, if it's on there, we see it. If it's not, we don't. So, John, Dave, I have to oh, ask a quick question before sorry, you Pete. go to that. Yeah, that's okay. So it, well, it's over your right shoulder and it's on the video. So um, people that are listening can't see it. Is that a rabbit hole I frequently take us down? Is that that? Yes, um, there there is a rabbit yeah. hole over my shoulder. I, I I'm going with a theme today. So it says uh, on the thing, it says follow the white rabbit. We're all mad here. It says sort of around the corners of the rabbit hole. And then the tea that I'm drinking today, uh, it's ginseng tea. So nothing too crazy although ginseng I, I like i like what ginseng yeah. does to me but the uh the tea i'm drinking today is out of my alice in wonderland tea party mug that i have had this mug it i think i've had it longer than i've known my wife and it is still wow. in perfect shape i i it was purchased for me as oh a gift. you shouldn't have said that no 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 yeah. actually i i don't i haven't had it longer than i've known my wife because okay. she bought this for me it was a, it was an early gift in our dating pro time, um, but uh, but she bought it at the Disney store for me. Like this thing lasted a long time. So so I have officially taken us down our first rabbit hole. 
about really, rabbit holes. I relinquished the floor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the meta rabbit hole episode. We are recording this, just so everybody knows, uh, a mere four days after we recorded the last one, or five days, I guess. We're recording this on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, just so that we can have a kind of a four-day you know, gap there and not having to interrupt family time on Friday, which is when we would normally do it. So uh, I don't know what that means, but but we're recording this in that mindset heading into Thanksgiving, not the mindset heading out of, which is which is where most people will be when they listen to this. So, uh, you know, sorry, not sorry. But yes, this is the meta rabbit hole episode. So I like it. It's good. In fact, you know what? I will make that image, the rabbit hole image that is over my shoulder, part of the episode image so that everyone can see it. All you got to do is look at your phone or your whatever, you know, whatever you're using. So, John, save us from the rabbit hole. Take us down a different rabbit Please, hole. Sir. Yeah, don't. We're not saving anybody from rabbit holes. We are intentionally <laughs> diving them in. Follow us down the rabbit hole. We're the white rabbits. I'm the white rabbit today. Uh, we're late. We're late. For a very important date. The two of you can pick your own characters and they don't even have to be from Alice in Wonderland. In fact, it could be just your own personas. You could be Pilot Pete and John F. Braun for all I know. But today, I'm the White Rabbit. John, or whoever you are, take us down the next rabbit hole. Um, let's go to Gary. Uh, Gary has a quick one here. Um, he says, like John, I'm new to Apple Watch and had a hard time making it work to pay in a store. I solved it by slowing down the side button. Double click speed. Um, and where do you set this? You go to settings, accessibility, side button click speed, and set it to slow. I changed it a couple of weeks ago, and since then I no longer have to pull my phone out of my pocket like a caveman. I love that. <laughs> um, and maybe a follow-up tip. What, what I found is useful is before I have to pay for something, I'll actually go into the wallet and bring the card up on the watch so that when I walk up to the register, uh, I'm ready to go. And do you get into the wallet by doing the double tap thing, John? Um, no. Okay. So that's, oh, well, sometimes yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm that... sorry. That it, it has worked for me. So you gotta, you gotta click it fairly quickly to uh, get in wallet mode. Well, and that's, that's his tip, right? Is you can slow that down. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know you could slow that down. So, you know, yeah. there you go. Um, yep. The white you rabbit learned something. <laughs> I don't know. This is not, this Fisher is not going to get got well. Pete to the punch. All right. So, okay. <laughs> Pete's I, 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 Alice in Wonderland is one of my favorite stories and movies and the whole vibe of it. I have a Cheshire cat onesie that I should have worn for the show, but I didn't, um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Pete, save us. <laughs> Boy, okay. when I'm saying that, you know things are already off the rails. <laughs> That's right. We are off the tracks like you couldn't believe. So my mine is a uh, ancillary to the watch, which is I've just done some research. Several episodes back, I asked something about does it does the watch last longer with, with the new const on? Does the watch last longer with it on or off? That sort yeah. of thing. So I did my own experiment. Okay, I'm going to find out. And I will tell you that if you go in the theater mode where your watch face is black most of the time, yes, it does last longer, substantially longer. I went almost three days. I started at 93% because I didn't think to start at 100%. And 64 hours later, I was at 19%, which if you're doing the math quickly, is 74% less. So it's using about 1.2% per hour when it's in theater mode. And I've 
found that I can go, it says 36 hours. When I'm in the all constant on, always on mode. Yep. Uh, I'm getting with the ultra, I'm getting closer to 44, 45 hours before I'm down below 10%. But even still, you, you're, you're adding at least 15 hours of battery life uh, to yeah. that. Closer to double. Yeah. Almost double. Almost actually. double. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you could you could probably go three and a half days, and that's normal use. You know, it, it vibrates when it has an alert, okay. that sort of thing. Um, I want to see what time it is. I wasn't being careful about not using the watch. Sure, it's normal use, but when I want to see what time it is, you know, have to tap it instead of the watch face being always on. But the vibrations came through everything else, and I I got sixty some hours. Almost three days with uh, uh, 74%. Interesting. That's yeah. fascinating. Ah, all right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So it's the, it's a monster battery in the Ultra. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine it's the same with, with the Watch 8. You know, it's the, the battery is a little better. And uh, it, it, you know, it has the always-on display now, right? The it's a, yeah, the 8 and yeah. the, I mean, the always-on displays. I, I, I have well, it with my Series while, 5. The six and seven exactly. Okay, yeah. 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 So, but if you if you know you're going to be away from charging for a while, go in the theater mode. Give it a shot. Yeah, or just turn like John. You don't live in theater mode, but you turn off your always on display, right? Like you don't you don't use the always on display of your Series Eight watch. Is that right? Um, no, I I am. Oh, you do. Okay, for some reason I thought you weren't, but I think you can turn that off on the watch just like you can on the phone. Yes. So that's not. Yeah, a, I think I fell with it and decided. I'd you rather like, be in in that mode. Yeah, right, right, right. I wonder, yeah. does low power mode on the watch? I think that takes you to the digital only, and that then it'll go a week or more. I bet. Yeah, I can't. It, it, get it to stops it all notifications and vibrations. That's and right, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's right. But the okay. um, but the it, so I was confused what you're talking about. Just always on display or not in theater mode. So you can leave the sound. You can when you put it in theater mode, it automatically turns the sound off. You can then turn the sound back on and leave it in the, the masks, the theater masks there. So it will darken down, but you'll still get audibles. It looks like. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. You know, yeah. 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 Good audible alerts, even though the the display is off. Interesting. So yeah. Interesting. And I, right. and I had something funny happen. Um, I think it was yesterday. Um, last night. So I I do the sleep tracking. Right. Kind right? of interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, the watch. Um, actually notified me and it said hey by the way your battery is really low and i'm not going to make it through the night so uh-huh. huh cool all right so it, to- it told it you to charge it b- ahead of your bedtime or whatever correct yeah i do you set a bedtime like have you gone through yes. that you do you saw so you okay yeah because i get now this makes sense i don't do sleep tracking with mine but often, not always, but often at night, I get that same notification, maybe an hour before bedtime where it's like, hey, you probably want to charge your watch before bed. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's plenty of bad. Like I got 15 percent left or something. I'm going to make it the next hour. I never thought about it as it was telling me so that then I would be charged up enough to to track my sleep. This makes sense and, and, now. But this segues right in one more quick tip that yeah. I'm watch, which is with the sleep tracking, I, I'm pretty sure it's auto sleep. It might be sleep plus plus. I'll have to go back and look. You can set the alarm in the morning to wake you up when you're in your lightest, in your REM stage of sleep. 
when you're in stage one sleep. So yeah. So if you set your alarm for 7 a.m., you need to get up at 7. Somewhere between 6 and 7, the watch starts, well, it doesn't start. I guess it's looking at you all night. It finds when you're in your lightest stage of sleep up to and before 7 a.m. So that if, let's say at 642, you're in stage one REM sleep, the watch will start tapping you on the wrist. Whoa. So that you wake up from a lighter stage of sleep instead of that stage four groggy, what's my ni- name? Why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. All right. Yeah. See, this is good. I, I, I like this rabbit hole, Cheshire Cat. This is good. John, who are, who are you? Are you the uh, Mad Hatter? I'm not mad. <laughs> We're all mad here. Uh, are you wait? He's I, just he he might be the dormouse. <laughs> I, I don't. There, there's something to this here. I don't know. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I did go to a Mad Hatter's tea party uh, where they served us. The tea was mostly infused with gin because you know they couldn't feed us the other stuff that it should have been infused with. Uh, but it was a blast. It was really fun. Uh, all right. Anyway, Jim. Uh, helps to save us with a little bit of a quick tip slash PSA. He says a tip that I learned after a failed lecture attempt for the Mac OS app zoom uh, to be able to screen share during a meeting via airplay with an iPad, you must turn off airplay receiver in Mac OS's sharing preferences. The backstory, uh, this feature of zoom is great for giving lectures using an iPad connected via Wi-Fi. I use Notability and am able to write as I lecture. Oh, yeah, right. However, after upgrading to uh, Monterey, this feature in sharing it might be Ventura, but I think I think he's right. I think this would have started with Monterey. This feature in sharing preferences appeared and it was automatically checked. It allows one to connect to the iPad screen wirelessly. However, it seems incompatible with Zoom screen share feature. Just thought this might be useful to anyone out there with a similar setup. Yeah, thanks for the heads up, Jim. That's good. I'm sure there is someone out there who either has struggled with or will be struggling with this. And uh, that hopefully will 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 lodge in their brain so that they're like, wait, wait, wait. There's something about this. I heard about it on Mac Geek Gab, and, and maybe that's enough to get it over the hump. Yeah. All right, John. Or Dormouse, or Mad Hatter, whatever you are, whoever you are. What, uh, From Drewski. Drewski. We got one. Uh, after years of using some rather unreliable online phone books, I realized that Apple has a superior version built into iOS. It's the Maps app. Maybe everyone else knew this, but within the last year or so, I found it to be the fastest and most dependable way to find phone numbers for local businesses, but so much more. Uh, there's the obvious map location and directions, but other excellent and pertinent info like hours of operation, website link, customer reviews, ratings, menus, Wikipedia articles, and so on. I probably use the Maps app on my phone more for that uh, other info than I do for directions. Cool. Cool. That's, yeah, that's right. Never even noticed that stuff there. You know, I just want directions. Yeah, and it's all there. It's, it's all there. Yeah, absolutely. Right in front of you, and you don't even see it. it right in front of you. All right, uh, Cheshire Cat. This one's you. Ah, uh, okay. Which? Oh, oh, yeah. So Dave's quick tip to open the show was about the the white noise or background noise for your AirPods. 
And so I was looking at them going, that's interesting. Well, why isn't it in sounds? Okay, well, it's in accessibility. Well, right above that in accessibility, I noticed a cool thing. In This is in Ventura, and, and Dave tells me it is, in fact, beyond Ventura. It's also in iOS 16 and, and a few prior versions. You can tell your AirPods to give you active noise canceling when you have only one ear AirPod in. Instead of, and normally it requires both to be in in order to get into the active noise canceling mode. Yeah. So I, I love active noise canceling. I use it all the time. My hearing is such that it, it, it helps me get what I'm going for. Um, and, oh, and then the other thing was I, I frequently use one ear at a time and I'll swap out when one gets low, I'll put the other one in that sort of thing. And this morning I noticed I had one go dead on me last night. So I put it in my case, charge it up and put the other one in my other ear and went to use the first ear, the right, had the right, used the left, went to use the right again later, and it was dead. So, quick tip, make sure the yellow light comes on on the front of your case that you're getting a good connection and a charge to that AirPod, else you'll find yourself with both AirPods dead. Uh, yeah. And I, that's no fun. I found that yesterday when I went to, to take a call. It was like, wait, why is this dead? And it must have been the same same exact thing. Yeah. yeah. I would recommend maybe a Q-tip with some alcohol to clean oh, that down in there. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's yeah, yeah. man. Chock down full into, of tips. Down into the AirPod case and make sure that those contact points are clean. Chock full of tips. I like it. We got two more for the watch. The first one comes from Bill. This is the one I tried to play last week and failed. So you here today are the lucky ones. Hey guys. Bill from Miller Park here. Wanted to give a quick tip for Apple Watch users. Earlier this year, I got my first Apple Watch, a version 7. A few months later, our two-generation household became a three-generation household. My son and his wife brought home a granddaughter. When my granddaughter got to about four months, she started grabbing onto my watch whenever I was holding her. Since the face is touch-sensitive, she managed to set off the Find My iPhone shortcut, start alarms, start stopwatches, starting to redesign the face, etc. The solution to this is not to take off your watch every time you're holding your grandchild, but instead put your watch into water mode. Then the screen is not touch sensitive. You undo it by pressing in the stem in the current version of the watch OS. You can also use student mode, but that removes your regular watch face and the complications you've put onto it, so I prefer the water mode. The attached picture shows how attractive the watch is to little hands. <laughs> Take care. Don't get caught. Bye. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. That's, uh, yeah. I, I, I was thinking about this tip yesterday. I spilled uh, uh, tea, believe it or not. Uh, thankfully, it, was, it had cooled down, but I spilled it on my sleeve. I had it like in, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, and... Then I noticed my watch reacting because I, I just left my, my, you know, it's cold. So my sleeves weren't rolled up and, uh, my wet sleeve was having fun interacting with my watch. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta use Bill's tip here. So yeah, it's good stuff. I like it. It is. Where's good. water mode? Water mode. Yeah. So I have it in. I, I believe you can add it to your watch's control center. It's called yes. water lock. Yeah. Uh, you swipe up from the bottom yep. and there should be a little raindrop if you've put it in there. Yep. And if you haven't, 
keep swiping up until you get to edit and then add it there. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he talked about pushing the stem and which I somehow he may have set that up to do that. That's how I activate Siri. If I don't, oops, uh, <laughs> you know, her, yeah. I do. <laughs> if, but if you I didn't don't, proceed uh, her name with, Hey, so it shouldn't. Hey, trigger. What? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah yeah. 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 So anyway, that's, that's how I activate the S lady, um, Got on it. my watch. If I press and hold the stem. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't cool. know how you set it up to do that, but that's cool. But yeah, if you touch that little raindrop, that, that makes it less. That'll get you there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one last quick tip. We'll stay in Apple watch land with Steven, who says, uh, I wanted to mention another great use case for pilot Pete's excellent tip on how to activate the watch's red light. As soon as I turned 50, Steven says all of the restaurants started conspiring to turn down their lights. When I need to read the menu, using the red light from the watch is far less distracting than the bright light from the phone or the watch. Great tip, Stephen. Folks, if you have quick tips, send them in to us. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's where we want to hear about how, anything, questions, tips, whatever it is. We, we love it. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com? I, I thought he said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. All right, hey, I get to tell you about Masterclass now. With Masterclass, you can learn how to write anything from a book or a screenplay to just a letter, learn how to communicate with your boss or your family, learn how to make a dinner worthy of a Michelin star, or just how to make really good scrambled eggs. Whatever you're interested in, there's a class for you. With over 180 exclusive classes taught by the instructors you know and love. Yeah, instructors you know and love. Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking. That's why you're going to learn to make those scrambled eggs. Those are delicious, by the way. I've done this. It's freaking amazing. you got to try this. It's awesome. Bob Iger teaches business strategy. I mean, he just came back to Disney. I think that's a pretty good strategy right there. He figured it out. John Legend teaches songwriting. Esther Perel teaches relational intelligence. This is cool stuff. And what's even cooler, I think is that the lessons are all broken down approximately 10 to 15 minutes in length so that they fit easily into your everyday life. And in addition to video lessons, Masterclass provides you with downloadable lesson recaps and supplemental materials. For example, those cooking classes come with beautiful downloadable guides that are at the level of a high-end cookbook. Cinema quality classes, unparalleled access to renowned instructors. I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash MGG today. That's masterclass.com slash MGG. Terms apply. And our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. Hey, we've got another podcast for you to listen to. Web development and web design is not easy because there's so much to learn. There's coding in multiple languages, learning good UI UX practices, mastering Figma and Photoshop, and don't forget all the server and system admin practices that keep the website online. It's no wonder with all this noise that junior devs really struggle to get started and experienced devs have a hard time updating their knowledge. The good news is that you don't need to go through all this alone. Matt and Mike from the HTML All the Things podcast has you covered with weekly episodes on all things web development, web design, and small business. 
Each week, the guys cover a new topic like coding sites with Vue and React, making use of popular website builders like WordPress and Webflow, and more work-related items like dealing with clients or getting through office politics. Matt and Mike do their best to discuss each topic so junior devs can understand and senior devs can learn something new. Search HTML All The Things in your favorite podcast app or visit htmlallthethings.com for show notes, written guides, and more. And hey, thanks, Matt and Mike, for doing this swap with us. All right. Uh, it's time to do some questions that also came into feedback at mattgeekup.com. John, you want to take us to Kevin? Absolutely. Um, Kevin says, my 8 gigabyte RAM 2014 Mac Mini has suddenly started giving me out-of-memory warnings and showing the force quit list of apps. I mean, really suddenly, just within the last week or two. It's never done it before, and I'm wondering if anything else had has had this issue. The 2014 Mini isn't able to run Ventura, so updating isn't an option. And since this Mac Mini has soldered, soldered memory, I can't upgrade the RAM. Any ideas? And you and I both had a couple of uh, ideas, Dave. My idea is that you may be running low on disk space. Oh. Um, so what's happening is virtual memory is freaking out because it can't find enough disk space to swap out. So that's one guess. Uh, you also had some feedback, Dave. Um, yeah, I didn't. I, it, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that as a potential issue, but of course it 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 very much could be my my thought process you know we the, the, well the way we approach questions here often it has to be is and and needs to be from the standpoint of well if i were there here's what i would try next right because we're not there right so it it we we often don't get to know the results of our things so very easily it could be that uh my first thought was let's start with activity monitor Right. Go to uh, launch activity monitor uh, on your Mac, which I believe is in the applications folder. I keep it in my doc, so I don't even know where it is, but I just search for it. Command space bar activity. Boom. There it is, which is another great tip because launching apps with spotlight is fantastic. Anyway, launch activity monitor. Go to the memory tab. They don't look like tabs. They look like buttons across the top. They, it starts with CPU on the left. Memory is the next one. So the memory tab button, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then sort by memory usage by clicking on the column header. I like to sort in descending mode so that the thing using the most memory is at the top. This lies to us. I'm, I'm just going to say that up front. It's not it's an imperfect science calculating how much memory a given process is using. But it is a consistent science when displayed here in activity monitor. So. Comparing apples to apples, no pun intended, uh, you'll be able to see what is consuming memory. Maybe you've got some app or something that I don't, who knows why has been running rampant and consuming more memory than it used to. And maybe this is part of the issue here. So, for example, I find uh, I mean, obviously, a reboot should, in theory, clear out any uh, one off apps that are misbehaving. But like Safari, if I leave Safari open for more than 24 hours, it will start just eating up all my RAM. So I use Marco Armand's quitter, as I've mentioned many times, to automatically quit Safari after three hours of non-use of Safari. 
not just three hours of non-use of my Mac, but three hours of non-use of Safari, which never happens if I'm on my Mac. So it's not quitting randomly on me, uh, but it makes sure that it's quit when I get to my desk every morning. And that is the key. So I, I actually have one other thing that I've noticed. Uh, it took me a while to figure it out. I was getting a, you're running low on memory. Yeah. And it only turned out when it was a certain uh, website that I was hitting. And then I was getting, oh, this website is using more resources. Do you want me to shut it down? That sort of thing. Yeah. So the people developing that website need to go to HDML things podcast and figure out why they're chewing up my resources. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, right. Yeah. And what's cool is Safari and this, this started a, certainly a, a, a number of years ago. I can't remember exactly when or what version of Safari, but Apple started sandboxing every open tab in its own little application space in Safari, mostly for uh, to keep websites from negatively impacting other websites that you're running and all of that. I think it was a, a a security thing. I could be wrong about about that. But one side effect of that is that every website individually or every tab you have open in Safari individually shows up in activity monitor. So that's how Pete was able to see that a specific website, not just Safari in general was causing these issues. So, yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool. It's a, it's a nice side effect of that. Yeah. Full of tips today. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, as a summary, um, Matt Paw has an article. What does your, uh, what does your system has run on an application memory mean? Ah, okay. Oh. This has lots of stuff. Um, their their top reasons are what I think we've all touched on. Um, you could be running low on disk space. Uh, you have too many apps open, and uh, too many browser tabs. Sure, as as you mentioned, um, and an app could just have a memory leak, which is Activity Monitor would probably let you uh, let you track that down. Let you see that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, MacPaw yeah, yeah. does clean my Mac, which has the utility to to clean up your memory. And that, yeah, they give themselves a plug in yeah. the article. I, you know, MacPaw. I mean, clearly these articles at some level are are built as promotional articles as as SEO, but they're they're some of the smartest SEO articles I've seen because they provide really quality, relevant, helpful information that doesn't start with buy our product. In fact, it almost always ends with buy our product, but before you buy our product, here's how you can do this without it. But if you want to make it easy and not have to like go to the terminal and do these other things, well, then we do create software for it. But if you're willing to go to the terminal, you know, th then here's how you do it. And I, I really appreciate that from them. I, I think it's the right way to help people. I, you know, I mean, we're all about yeah, here's what we're people. doing with the GUI, right? You know, here's Correct. the GUI, but here's, here's what we're doing when you click on that button. Yeah. Yeah, which which makes it transparent too, and that isn't a terrible thing. So yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, one other thing. So you mentioned at the beginning of this question that uh, activity monitor is in app in applications folder. It's actually in the utilities folder, which is within applications. Thank so you. That's not not that that matters because most people use some form to launch. My personal one is command space, and then I start typing the name of the of the app, and boom, right, right, it comes. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's thank you for the correction. We like to get things right here. We had we had uh, M Moran commented in Discord, and if you're not in our Discord, please head over there. Uh, MacKeyCup.com/slash Discord should get you uh, along your way. But 
we commented uh, we we were talking last week about uh, EKG versus ECG and I I I linked an article it was the first one that that came up from Google explaining the differences I'm like great perfect and he commented in discord he's like I hate to be that that internet guy but here's a better article to link to and I'm like well always please be that internet guy we want to make sure we get it right TLDR EKG and ECG are the same thing uh, they are just different languages, uh, words. EKG, I believe, is the is the initials for the German words or word. It might just be one word in German because, uh, you know, that's how it is. But uh, but yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they're the same thing. Uh, all right. Bob has our next question. He says, I have. Two user accounts on my iMac, one for me and one for my wife, each logged in with our own individual iCloud accounts. Okay, so separation uh, there. Okay, we each have our own iCloud photo libraries. I keep both of those photo libraries stored on the same external drive so that I can save internal disk space. Great. Is there any problem storing both of those libraries on the same volume? I've just started using shared photo libraries for each of these, and it seems like I'm having to repair the libraries more frequently. Would it be better to store the libraries on separate external volumes instead? It seems like my current setup should work, but not sure if having the two libraries in the same place is causing problems. So uh, my my gut here says, no, it's totally fine to store your external libraries on a, uh, you know, on, on the same volume. Let's think about it this way. If you were not, if you were taking the defaults, they would both be stored on the same volume, AKA the internal drive. So storing them on the same volume, AKA the external drive is totally fine. However, I think I know what the problem is. My guess is that your external drive is a rotational drive and not an SSD photos. Very specifically has been built with the presumption that the library will be stored on an SSD and not be subject to the latency of an external drive. And there are some timing things with photos that really don't, that are not happy when they're not on an SSD. So it doesn't surprise me that you're getting corruption. We were seeing the same thing when we were storing photos on network drives. You used to be able to get away with this. Totally fine. No problem whatsoever. As long as you had, you could maintain a consistent connection to the network drive, just like so long as you can maintain a consistent connection to your external drive. It was all totally fine. And then uh, the SSD issue, you know, or SSDs became more commonplace. The other thing is make sure you are using either HFS plus or APFS for the volume that you're storing your photos library on. I think that's equally as important as storing it on an SSD and external drives sometimes come windows formatted and you don't notice it. You just plug it in and you start using it. That could also be part of the problem here. We obviously, we do know from a reply that we got from Bob that this is a rotational drive. So that's likely the problem, but it, as we were doing this here, I started thinking about the format of the drive, and I think that's also important. So, would would you recommend at least separate folders? For oh, the photo library. Well, I, not the same, not in the same folder. I mean, it, it wouldn't matter because the each photo it library be named differently. Yeah, each photo library is its own folder anyway, right? I mean, it it appears yeah. as a package. Uh, but you know, one self-contained package, but really it's just a bunch of subfolders 
So, yeah, yeah, I, if yeah you maybe, right-click it, you can say show show contain show contents or, or something like that. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, show contents. Yeah, yeah, but as long as it's a different file name, it, which it would be, otherwise you're pointing to the same one. In which case, I, all bets are off. Don't do that. Like that. My my, I was going to say I don't have any advice for you. I do have advice. Do not share photo libraries between multiple accounts. It it will not end well. So yeah, yeah. yeah well, just, I I got to say I, I I was here. We go. Rotational versus SSD had no idea. That just doesn't make sense until you explained, okay, timing issues. Yeah. As it writes to the database. And yeah. Uh, Pete, we need to work on your, the, the way your audio routes, because when you play a, that bell sound, it yeah. mutes your voice. And I don't know why that you might, you might have it going through some kind of, compression or limiting or something like that but uh, just fyi oh there you go uh all right john you want to take us to gary <clears throat> let's go to gary all right gary says hey mackie cab crew i tried to send a friend apple cash for her birthday last week and when i clicked the pay button in the text message i was sending her i got a message saying first name last name Cannot accept Apple Cash. The friend has an iPhone 13. However, I was able to send a different friend Apple Cash for her birthday back in September, and she has an iPhone 7. Both friends are blue on my iMessages, so I can understand someone who isn't an iPhone user not being able to receive Apple Cash. But what prevents certain iPhone users from not being able to accept it? Um, keep up the great work and have a great Thanksgiving. You too. Uh couple of things. So I found two Apple support articles, which uh, may be worth looking at. Okay. So one is called set up Apple cash. Uh, because as far as I know, Apple cash is not on by default, right? Oh, so, okay. Yeah, you, you see a slider with, you know, if you follow the uh, directions, uh, you'll see a slider for it. And I don't believe it's enabled by default. Interesting. Okay. Um, so that could be one reason. The other reason, uh, which is in another Apple support article called, if you can't send or receive money with Apple cash. All right. <laughs> Something good place to start. Tell you the steps to go through. What's interesting um, is there is a step, uh, verify your identity. Oh. Interesting. Um, huh. In in another article, um, yes, verify your identity uh, jumped out at me as uh, something that one or the other may have to do again. Interesting. Yeah, it says how to verify your identity for Apple Cash. Open the wallet app, tap your Apple Cash card, tap the more button, tap details, go to settings, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then verify identity, and you're going to need to take a picture of your driver's license. Oh, fascinating. Huh. So, people that want to try sending money should send it to boxav8r <laughs> at me.com, and I'll let you know if it comes through okay. You know, <laughs> I promise. I, I know our audience wouldn't spam any one of us, uh, <laughs> even if we shared our personal email addresses or Apple IDs as, as, as oh, Pete just did. I didn't think of that. But <laughs> and I know you won't. I know you won't. But it would be Please. poetic justice if you did. 
I'm just going to say. <laughs> oh, boy. Now I have to change my Apple ID. <laughs> no, the thing is, we have a good audience. Like, they, they actually won't. I'm the only jackass here that would do that. Uh, and and I already text you all the time anyway. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Please don't sign me up for anything. Right. Please. Right. Exactly. No, I, like it's, it's money. You can send money. <laughs> send the money. Yeah, sure. 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 Uh, speaking of one other person who might actually uh, spam you there, Pete, but only because you you know her. Uh, Allison uh, ha- Sheridan sent from Podfeet from uh, No Silicast sent in a note to us and it, this is really, it was an, it, it led down an interesting path. She said, I made uh, my Steve, her, her husband, Steve, listen to uh, the, I, I was on chit chat across the pond with her. Uh, and we talked about Wi-Fi 6E and backhaul. And, and we had a great conversation about that. So she, she had Steve listen, listen to that. And she was with him. And so she said, when I re-listened, I heard myself say, yeah. I really need to get iPerf 3 running on my Synology, which is something we've talked about here before. Running the iPerf 3 package, which is available from like Sino Community, I think, running that on your disk station means that you always have an iPerf uh, server running on your network. iPerf is a fantastic way to do bandwidth tests, and having a server always running means that you don't have to go and set up a server each time you want to do a local network bandwidth test, which is different from a speed test of your ISP. So uh, she says, using my phone to tether to my Mac and the net, uh, I, I and and my I, my Mac and my Synology are both on uh, Tailnet using Tailscale. And she says, I was able to open a web browser to the magic DNS of my Synology. And I discovered that somewhere along the line, I had already installed iPerf 3. Uh, and and that, that part of the story is relevant because of the tail scale part. So she popped open a terminal and from remote ran iPerf 3 to her uh, magic DNS name of her Synology, which is magic DNS as part of tail scale. And she noticed that she was getting 3.3 megabits per second. That's pretty slow. She ran it again when she got home with her Mac on Wi-Fi and no more more than 10 feet from the uh, access point, the Wi-Fi access point, and went up to 54 megabits per second. She shut off Wi-Fi and did it again over wired Ethernet through a gigabit switch and got 270 megabits per second. All of these speeds, that 270 was the one that jumped out to me. All the others, Wi-Fi, you never know what's causing problems, right? But when she said she got speeds of 270 megabits per second over Ethernet, that you want to talk about the bells went off. I'm like, wait, that doesn't sound right. Because when I do it over Ethernet to my Synology using iPerf, I get full like 940 megabit per second, a.k.a. full gigabit Ethernet speed. So I immediately broke out my uh, my. You know, I sat down at my M1 Mini, which is Etherneted into my network, and I ran an iPerf test direct to my Synology to its IP address, so across the local network, and I got my 940. I'm like, okay, got a baseline, and I tested it both directions. Everything's good. Great. And then I did exactly the same test, except instead of sending it to the IP address of my Synology locally, I sent it to my Magic DNS address, which goes through TailScale. And uh, I got... 300 megabits per second 
in to my uh going from my mac to my my synology and 600 megabits per second in the other direction and it was like okay what's going on so i dug in a little deeper i had a suspicion and i my suspicion was i that tail scale is using cpu and slowing down the connection and sure enough that's what happened i opened up a top window which is like activity monitor for unix on my Synology disk station. I also opened it up on my Mac, but I knew that of the CPUs involved, the one on my disk station was the slower of the of the CPUs. And sure enough, Tailscale's process usage spiked during that speed test because it was trying to like manage all of this traffic around and and you know through its engine. And for whatever reason, I guess its engine is just not tuned to be efficient enough to to do that. So Tailscale is, I, I still maintain that Tailscale is awesome and amazing, but uh, it, it it does use CPU. So if you are doing bandwidth intensive stuff on your local network where you can avoid using Tailscale, I would do that. Uh, if you are doing bandwidth intensive stuff over the WAN, over the internet, uh, and you have the ability to bypass Tailscale with some other type of vpn server that doesn't have bandwidth constraints uh try that you know or at least test it and see which of your paths is the least uh the least worst if you will i've got a question yeah man i'm sure i i'm sure i glossed over too many things that right there no you didn't but it but it i I, and i don't think it matters because i i think your answer about the cpu is is the crux of the whole thing when you're using tail scale and you're at home are, are you still going out over the internet and then back? No. Or are you local? Where's the pipe? So you're, you're local. Okay. It, you're staying it, local. It is local. It's, it is CPU. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. But, that. but it is routing through this, this, your, your tail scale right. engine on both devices. And, and right. to be clear, I, well, not to be clear, cause I didn't say it before. I also watched the tail scale process spike on my, on my M1 mini. And interestingly enough, I didn't do enough testing with this to, to say what I'm about to say for certain, but I'll say it anyway. I also did a test from my iMac here in the studio, which is an Intel chip, right? So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like uh geek bench numbers, my M1 mini is faster than this Intel iMac CPU wise, right? Raw CPU. However, um, I was getting, I said, I got, and this is true. I got 300 megabits per second from my Mac mini to my Synology and eight, uh, 600 megabits per second in the other direction. When I did it on my Intel Mac, those speeds were almost doubled. So for whatever reason, it, it was being slowed down on both ends. Like neither one of them, none of those tests hit 940, right? But for whatever reason, in that moment, and I need to do more testing to say that Tailscale is slower on a, I don't want to say that Tailscale is slower on one platform than the other. But in my brief test, it was slower on M1 than it was on Intel. Anecdotally speaking, there's your 50 Correct. cent word of the day. Thank you, sir. Anecdotally <laughs> speaking, this is the uh, meta rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there you go. So thanks for coming down that rabbit hole with us, folks. This is uh, fun stuff. Hey, you know, inflation has us all thinking about different ways to cut back. Maybe you're eating out less. Maybe you've cut back your holiday budget a little bit, which kind of sucks. But, you know, it's one of those things that happens. Maybe you're traveling less. 
whether it's driving less, eating out less, or buying less from the grocery store, we can all agree that there's nothing fun about less. And that's why I'm really happy about our sponsor, Upside. Upside is this awesome app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. And with Upside, maybe you don't have to cut back because you get cash back on every purchase. I've used Upside. To to get started, what you do is you go download the free Upside app. Then you use our promo code MACGEEKGAB. You got to use the whole thing. And you get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. I did this at the gas station and it actually was super easy. I just picked the gas station. It was in the upside thing. It was right on my way. It was fine. I filled my tank because, you know, that's what you do at the gas station. And then I took a picture of the receipt in the upside app and then they processed it. And I got my I got my five bucks. It was amazing how it all just kind of works. You just claim the offer inside of the app and, and then you just pay as usual with your credit or debit card. And in comparison to your credit card rewards or loyalty programs, with Upside, you can earn three times more cash back. This is the kind of thing that appeals to Mr. John F. Braun here. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code MACGEEKGAB to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code MACGEEKGAB. And our thanks to Upside for sponsoring this episode. Hey, uh, John and Pete, are either one of you guys Swifties? Did you uh, did you try and get tickets for Taylor Swift last week? <laughs> no. Okay. I, I saw that it just wasn't going to be possible unless I had 12 large burning a hole in my pocket. So is that, I, is that I, all? I okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I I would go see Taylor Swift live. I, I I've heard she's an amazing performer, and and I did try to sign up for the the pre sales, but uh, but I didn't even get a. I was I was waitlisted for the pre sale. I'm sure uh, that if if you are interested at all, and probably even if you aren't interested at all in this, you've heard all of the stories about how uh, how that pre sale went super sideways. And, uh, you know, the Ticketmaster and Taylor Swift and there's all that stuff going on. And I say I'm sure you've heard all the stories. We're not going to retell those. But I think there's probably one that you didn't hear. And I dug into this because as soon as I heard this story, I was like, wait a minute. What happened here? The whole idea behind the Ticketmaster presale and why you have to sign up for a code in advance and all of that stuff. And trust me, I'm going somewhere nerdy with this. Just bear with me. I know it's a rabbit hole. Sorry. Uh, but but we're, we're going somewhere fun. The whole idea is because they know that there's going to be huge demand for this. And they want to make sure that, the, you know, the verified fans, that's what they call this, the Ticketmaster verified fan presale. The verified fans are have a shot at getting tickets. And the way this verified fan presale thing works is you buy the tickets and then you have to be the one to use them. Uh, it, it, you know, you, whatever, like you, you, you can maybe you can buy four tickets. You have, you, you know, you have to be one of the people, the person that with the credit card has to be the one that shows up at the, at the thing. And then, uh, and then you can bring, you know, your three other people with you as, as you might expect. So, 
you with that in mind, and I go to a lot of concerts, as many of you know, and I'm well aware of how this system works and how it all is. And, I, you know, I like that part of the idea. Ticketmaster scammy and 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 creepy and they have their own like hidden secondary resale market, which they probably shouldn't be allowed to have. But anyway, they do this, which is great. Uh, so you're saying you can't show up with 300 of your closest friends uh, yeah, to, the, to the concert. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nor could I buy in, in a normal verified fan presale. If I bought tickets, I couldn't even give all of them to you, Pete. I would have to yeah. join you and, and attend or, Somehow you would have to impersonate me enough to get yourself in the door. Now, what a lot of scalpers will do is they will buy four tickets and resell three uh, and literally walk you into the venue. And then once you're in, they leave and walk the next three people for whom they bought tickets in. Right. Like this is a known practice. And as long as their markup on it is enough to give them a profit after covering their cost of four tickets, even though they're only selling reselling three fine. Right. And okay, fine. So that's the scalpers way around it. All of this is important as background because when I heard it was on ABC start here, they, they did a little dive into this, which is great uh, podcast. Uh, Brad Melke's funny and does a good job. Uh, and they said, yeah, the big problem, the reason people were waiting hours and hours in this verified fan presale, which should have been a managed quantity was because it wasn't just people, it was bots getting through. And I was like, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. The whole idea behind the verified fan presale is that you get a code texted to your phone, like it it prevents bots from getting through. What do you mean bots got through? So I dug into it, and sure enough, like th- they generally, they don't, they know how many verified fans they have offered tickets to. And that is or offered the opportunity to purchase to, right? Which is an important distinction. They that is how they manage how many tickets are going to be sold through the verified fan presale. And 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 then they have a general on sale, which should be more tickets. So it's usually somewhere between 20 and maybe 40 percent of the tickets are reserved for the verified fan presale. And then the rest are, you know, out there. But they don't know a if those people that that have the verified fan are going to buy and B they don't know how many tickets they cap them at four, but they know that not everybody is going to buy four. And sometimes they cap them at eight, like what, you know, whatever the, the limit for that on sale is, but that's how they manage how many tickets are going to be sold. They don't reserve a, a fixed number of tickets for the verified fan presale. And that's an important, another important distinction because ABC start here mentioned the bots and I'm like, okay, bots, that's that, that's the first little flag that went up for me. And the second flag was, They said, yeah, and now they can't do the on sale because 95% of all the tickets have already been sold through the pre-sale. And what happened was the the bot writers, we'll call them the bot makers, uh, had figured out how to bypass the verified fan pre-sale. So not only was it the verified fans trying to get in, but it was people who did not even have verified fan codes that somehow had figured out how to get past the system. And this comes as absolutely no surprise to us. <clears throat> John, you and I came up in a time where people were vendors, software vendors were using copy protection on software, literally using uh, writing different ways of preventing people from copying the the bits of the software to another disc, right? You would get your software on a floppy disc and, and they would prevent you from copying that disc. 
even to make your own legitimate backup, right? That you might want to store at a friend's house. Uh, <clears throat> that finally ended though, because it was just a game of cat and mouse, right? Like the, the vendors would come up with a new way of doing things. The, the people that were breaking the copy protection would figure that out and it would just go back and forth. On this one, I think what happened is that the bot makers suckered Ticketmaster. I think they figured out a while back how to bypass the verified fan presale. And I think they waited until they knew they had a sure thing in terms of being able to sell for those prices. Like you mentioned, Pete, 12 grand. I saw some for $90,000, right? But people are... And I think if you rewind back a couple of months, Bruce Springsteen tickets went on sale. There was a minor issue with the verified fan presale. I think they used that as a test run. This is all my tinfoil hat rabbit hole theories here. But like, I think Ticketmaster got baited into thinking that this game, that they had won this game. Their brick wall was up and impenetrable. That's right. And as soon as you think that, you know you're wrong. You should know you're Stand wrong. By. Yeah. Right? I mean, doesn't this sound like the whole copy protection days, John? Just the, the cat and mouse stuff? I don't know. That's, that's so how do it. you think they figured out the algorithm to generate a, a useful code? Oh, that's one way. I, I That is not what I thought. But I, there's, I mean, I don't know. So, yeah, that would make sense. Um, the The way I thought was... They took a look at the web page and said, okay, is the code act is entering the code actually relevant when you make your purchase or is it just to get you past that firewall and it, into the system? And once you're in, it doesn't matter whether or not it like the system doesn't even check to see if you are authenticated with a code that would have been that, like if I were a bot maker. That's how I would approach it. It's like, okay, how do I just do an end around on this and get past the gatekeeper so the normal ticket buying, you know, where, how do I get to that website directly? Right. I, I don't, but you, John, you might be right about like, that's a, a, like, if there's a simple Both algorithm, yeah. 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 Cause it costs you nothing to get those codes, right? So you could do verified fan presale codes for every act that, that, that does one. And then start doing your regression analysis on, okay, are are these codes related to my email address or are they related to, you know, what, 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 how are they generating these codes? How do they know they're good? Yeah. Yeah, And Dave, how long were the codes? Were they four characters, six Uh, characters? I think they're, they're somewhere, but I want to say six or eight. I I just got one. Hang on. I I got one for Garth Brooks. I didn't, I didn't. Cause the reason I'm asking is that once you know the length, of the code, then it's just a matter of, uh, you know, almost random guessing. Uh, yeah. My, a, uh, my code for Garth Brooks, I'm happy to share this on the show. The pre-sales over uh, is all caps, except for the number, which has no capital equivalent CVJM M six S. So that is seven characters. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, yeah, then it, you have to yeah, go. They're, they're all seven characters. In fact, I have them all in the same text message thread. So yeah. 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 I don't know. So that simplifies things. Yup. Yup. Yeah. You it's know. And that it's not 18 or 20 characters simplifies it. Yup. John, you might be right about this, that they just, 
you know, that they, they didn't create a pool of codes that they created a formula for codes. Yeah. Or they figured out the URL that you end up at. Yeah. Should be the other one is like. (laughs) Excellent point. Right. That would be the simplest path of all. It's just, yeah. What's that URL? Yeah. Get me there. I'm good to go. I'm in. Yeah. Even if, even if all you have to do is like take your code and get in, right? So now you're in. What URL is that? Can I share that URL with somebody? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be that simple. Who knows? Like these if systems. That's the case, yeah. What a rookie mistake. I mean, geez. But that's the you thing. You know, I mean, the professional IT security people need to obviously be running the big websites like that, that, that involve tens of that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Right. And, and uh, it sounds like they got ranky amateurs doing it. Yeah, well, maybe. Me, you know, I could come up with a seven-digit character that, you know, today I could figure out how to yeah. do that. And, and then I'd get, and I'd get beat down hard like, like Ticketmaster did. You need trained professionals doing that stuff, folks. Well, and they need to be, like, always active because you know the people on the other right. side are always active, right? Like, com- complacency is the issue. Like, even and even then, you will only develop to the point where you think you need to go, right? Like they're not they're not doing voice verification, they're not doing camera verification, which they could easily do. Pretty much every device that's going to be online buying tickets has a camera on it, right? So you could do that, take a picture of the person who bought it. Now, you know, you know that that you can do you know photo analysis or whatever, and and figure all that out. I, like I don't know, like there's there's a million ways that this could have happened, but. It when you think you have gotten it right is perhaps the only moment where it's correct. But if you stop there, someone will pass you. Now in the chat, uh, Brian Monroe, or maybe it was, uh, uh, oh, it was Mark Moran uh, and Brian Monroe are having a conversation at live.macgeekab.com, and one of the, they, the the speculation there is it could be just that whoever the programmers are got paid off. As you pointed out, Pete, there are millions of dollars at play here. Uh, you know, is, is a programmer susceptible to the the almighty dollar? Pro- probs. I'm guessing they get paid in almighty dollars to do their job. They might get paid in lots, lots, lots more almighty dollars to tell people how they did their job. I, I, I you know, I, I don't, and I don't like, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not saying that Ticketmaster programmers are, are selling out the back door, but if any one company's programmers were to do this poetic justice. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, this is, <laughs> it, it is just uh, a lot of justifiable outrage over this, you know? Be, yeah. Be, yeah. Stop it. Stop the other thing that occurred to me, to be done. The other thing that occurred to me when I looked at the uh, article from Ticketmaster, they show a graph of requests for tickets, and there's this big, huge spike. Oh, Um, It almost looks to me like a distributed denial-of-service attack, so they may need to re-architect their... Well... I, I mean, it, there is. You're right. Like that is exactly. But any time there Not is, even them is like, <laughs> yeah, right. There, there any time there's a ticket on sale, it is a DDoS, right? Because there's lots of people from everywhere, legitimate people, of course, but enough of them will crater the server. That's also part of why they do the verified fan thing. They only send out codes 
to a number of people that they know their servers can easily handle. But when there's more than that number of people hitting their servers, many orders of magnitude more than that number of people, then that DDoS attack is successful. But I mean, you know, we ran Mac Observer. I mean, we run our Mac Geekab website and we anticipate the maximum number of legitimate users that we will have at any one time. And we architect the site to handle more than that. But, you know, when like it took us a long time to figure out how to architect the site to handle like all of the traffic that would come in during uh, Steve Jobs keynote. Right. Like we, we would crater every time. So it's like, oh, yeah, like we, we don't. We don't have this kind of traffic the other 360 days of the year, but these four days, uh, you know, are insanity. And so how do we do this economically? Right. Because if you could, I mean, you know, we could we could have gone out of business by going broke early, early on. If we said, oh, sure, we want to architect it for, you know, five million people to be on the site all the time without the, Mm -hmm. the revenue to support that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of, uh, past apple product launches where everything yeah. dogpiles on the server all at once and then nobody can get in that's exactly right that's exactly right yeah exactly. Or, or the six hour lines in front of the uh, cell phone stores right for the for the brick the brick and mortar version of that same yeah yeah well the brick and mortar version of that same thing i mean it, no, that, that's one example but if you if you if we want to stay in this world i used to camp out for tickets in front of Ticketron, or you'd go to the third floor, the back of the third floor of Sears and Roebuck to buy from Ticketron or, you know, your local record store would have a Ticketron terminal or whatever. And you'd literally camp out all night. That also a DDoS attack because the one guy manning that terminal was completely overwhelmed for the first two hours of his shift that day. You know? Yeah. 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 So it's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. Ticketron. I know Mark Moran in the chat is commenting about Ticketron. You're old. Yeah, I know I'm old. I know. I know. It's fine. It's fine. I'm still rocking and rolling. I'm still going to see concerts. And most importantly, I'm still doing Mac Geek Gab, which I love. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. Let's let's uh, John, you want to pick a cool stuff found Pete. I don't know if you have a cool stuff found to, to share. I, Bruce's is too good to let wait another second, let alone another week. Bruce says, I just came across this amazing piece of free software called Actions by Sindre Sorhas. Sindre's name might be uh, might be ringing a couple of bells because uh, he's the one who writes Velia, the, the browser picker that we talked about over the last couple of episodes. If you're into using shortcuts on the Mac or iOS, even this is a very cool must have uh, the uh, what the it adds a ton of actions to shortcuts so that you can do all kinds of cool things. And, uh, you know, the list is the list is long. I'm not going to read it all. But, you know, the, some of these actions are add to list, add, apply capture date, authenticate, authenticate, tapping into the authenticate thing inside your own shortcut. That's pretty cool to be able to do. Combine lists, convert date to Unix time, edit a URL format currency, get file path, get title of URL. Like these are great. A lot of these things, of course you could write on your own, but man, I wouldn't want to have to. And thankfully I don't and neither do you. So that's uh that's my inclusion in cool stuff found this week. If, uh, if I only get one and time-wise I might only get one. So yeah. Uh, John, do you have one you want to, uh, you want to share? 
Um, let's see. We have, um, we did get one from Bob. Great. Um, and basically he pointed us towards, uh, a utility called one switch. Um, and they have a screen cleaning mode, which, uh, I believe it darkens the screen and it disables, uh, the input. So, uh, it doesn't wake up and, and blast you with, with super brightness. Ah, cool. Cool. Um, but they have a whole bunch of other features, which I think are cooler. Uh, you can hide desktop icons, dark mode, keep awake. Um, look at the battery level of your AirPods. Do not disturb night shift screensaver, true tone. So wow. looks pretty neat. And as they point out, um, it's part of setup. Amazing. Amazing. Cool. Cool. Pete, do you have one or, or shall I pick a third I, I, one from I, the list? I, well, I've actually got a quick reminder, I guess, it's kind of more than anything is that with, uh, they're cheap and get a, get a, get a bunch of them and put them in your bag. The little adapters to go to USB A to USB C, USB C to USB A, because invariably you have the wrong, male plug to the wrong female plug and and if you got a bunch of those they're they're two or three bucks a piece yeah get 10 of them and throw them in your bag put them everywhere right yeah yeah these are the best stocking stuffers that exist (laughs) yeah for this year anyway yeah 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 yeah. i agree i agree it's a great one yep yep we got lots more cool stuff found to share with you we will do uh we will we will prioritize that next week because I because some of these things are good for the uh, you know the holiday buying season. So yeah, fun stuff. I like this. This episode was uh, this is fun today. Yeah, good stuff. Good show. The rabbit hole. Good show. Yeah. Good I, show, boys. Absolutely. <laughs> I I agree. All right. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Make sure to check out Pete's uh, now being recommended on Spotify podcast. So there I was. I know. Freaking amazing. So there I was. US. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to you for doing what you do and sending in all your questions. Thanks really for listening. And thanks for sharing the show and just being part of our Mac Geek Cab community. It's, this is amazing. It, it's really great. Uh, yeah, that's what we got. Thanks for hanging out. Check out our sponsors. As we mentioned in the show, we have uh, masterclass.com slash MGG and upside.com where well, after you download the app, use the code Mac Geek Gab to, uh, to get your five bucks. I know it's great. Good stuff. Ah, we made it. Part of ourselves. <laughs> John, can you uh, can you tell us what Pete's shirt says, man? Um, I believe it says, don't get caught. Made up. Them some good advice right there. <laughs> <laughs>